I'm Ray Rogers. And I'm Annie Evans, co-host of today's episode. You're listening to Fix This, a podcast exploring tech ideas and solutions to some of today's largest challenges. As technology evolves, so does our access to healthcare. During the COVID-19 pandemic, hospitals have created tools to monitor bed capacity, spin up call centers to streamline communications, and meet with patients virtually. Meanwhile, we as patients have learned to attend virtual checkups, use patient portals to receive our lab results, and so much more. All of these advancements have technology at their core, and these expanded services and access to virtual care are now cemented into the healthcare landscape. In response to the pandemic, when resources, including doctors' time and expertise, were stretched thin, the U.S. Army Telemedicine and Advanced Technology Research Center, or TATRIC, and Deloitte began building an AWS-based telehealth application. The cloud-powered application is called the National Emergency Telecritical Care Network, what's also referred to as NETSIN. The application is built on AWS services, including AWS Wicker, which enables secure communication with end-to-end encryption to connect patients and clinicians who could offer critical care from virtually anywhere. To learn how Netson is impacting patients and clinicians' lives, Ray chatted with Matt Quinn, Science Director at U.S. Army Tatric, and Daniel Adams, Health Technologist from Deloitte. Take a listen. Hi, I'm Matt Quinn. Hey, I'm Dan Adams. Sometimes referred to as Netson. How did the idea to start it actually come about, and how did the project get rolling? Our commanding general of Medical Research and Development Command called Tatric and said, Hey, we have some funds for. COVID and what can Tatric do? And if you can remember back to March 2020, early days of this pandemic when we really didn't know much, we saw huge surges of COVID cases and huge demands, resource constraints in places like New York and Seattle to care for these really sick patients. And at the time, we imagined that not just well-resourced places like those would be struggling with enough uh, critical care expertise, but lots of places around the country that lack hospitals with intensive care units and those kinds of doctors would be even worse off. And so we envisioned a set of solutions, a digital health ecosystem, in fact, that would allow us to extend that expertise from anywhere to anywhere. And that it would be scalable from an individual patient all the way up nationally. And again, at the time, we envisioned one region helping another region. So if there was a a surge in the Southeast, that the Northeast or that the Southwest could assist. Uh, And and that it would work in places that were uh, relatively austere. I imagine that there were a lot of challenges or opportunities that popped up when first starting to conceive of Netson and putting all of the pieces together. Can you tell us a little bit more about what some of those challenges look like and how are you able to overcome them? We have this concept. Uh, We have this offer that there is funding available to run with this. And fortunately we had in place at uh, MRDC something called Other Transaction Authority or OTA. And this is a way of acquiring things outside of the federal acquisition register, outside of normal contracting processes. And so we came up with three lines of effort. One of them is and was uh, Netson, the digital health ecosystem. The second line of effort was really about building capability and capacity on top of that. We called that virtual hospital 
And it's something that we in the military have been working on, you know, to give us uh, additional capabilities around evacuation of soldiers when they're uh, during large-scale combat operations and during mass casualty events. So uh, thinking about autonomous systems. And then the last piece, and, and, and perhaps the most important and the most challenging, is what we call data to decisions, or taking the, the, the data from those multiple nets and teams and many nets and missions, again, scaling it from single hospital all the way up to national support, and uh, providing leaders at echelon, including clinicians, with what we call situational awareness or better decision making. This involves you know, both running an operations center, but also informing those to our left, right, up and down uh, how Netson is fitting into the broader response. I think we, we realized very quickly that you know, we're not going to be able to create the whole solution up front in that, in that first sprint. So any technology decision that we made, we had to be prepared to be able to, to walk away from it and you know, quickly adapt something new. Uh, and we also knew that we couldn't spend too much time on the commodity technologies or technical capabilities, like getting audio and video to work to making sure that we had scalability in our um, and our databases and our infrastructure, um, that wasn't a, a worthwhile investment of our time. We wanted to spend more time on the mission. And the, the, the second part was the we, we could not have a divide between the functionals on the team and the developers on the team. Uh, we needed to have you know our clinical director, you know Dr. Rangapa, sitting with you know at, at the time I was the lead engineer, sitting with me as we were building this thing. Um, and we needed to have our developers know as much about the business and the mission and the workflows as much as our functionals did. And it, 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 it was, uh, I think it was a learning curve, curve for some folks on the development team because we're used to getting the requirements, you know, nice workflow diagrams, that everything laid it out so we can go directly start coding and, and building out the system. But we had to break away from that mold. Developers had to spend time talking about the users, understanding the mission, understanding the clinical impact of the different decisions, and be empowered and have the autonomy to make workflow decisions as they're making changes to the application. What did those early days of the initial launch look like versus where Netson is today? Within, I think, a day or two of deployment, we had actual clinicians using the system in Guam, both military and civilian, and we had helped someone, uh, a nurse, who was left with, you know, multiple very sick, intubated COVID patients and no attending doctor to help her. The attending doctor was off coding another patient, and she pushed the nets and button, and lo and behold, she was able to reach someone in San Diego who talked her through virtual diagnosis of something called attention pneumothorax. And then treatment of it. And this is pretty dramatic stuff, and it saved that person's life. What we've done since then is to try to move from individual hospital support or clinician support into a system of systems. One of the things that has been important about this and how we couldn't do it without cloud and without multiple uh, you know, teams and partners and without a real um, – radical inclusion mindset with this is, is, is to improve as we go. All of these applications and tools that make up Netson and everything around them have been improved many times uh, on an agile basis 
uh, as part of this. We learn as we go. Uh, I don't know how many times I use the, the metaphor that we're building the airplane as we're flying for this, but we get feedback from, from users, both virtual and, and distant. We get feedback from you know, the program teams. We get feedback from operations, and we just take that and put it back into the system so that it works better. And you know, one of the amazing things on lots of these is that we started out with you know, almost competing teams you know, looking for missions, looking to, to deliver better. And we've built a team of teams as, as this works through. And that really is going to be the model for the future, I think, of Netson as a, as, as a response framework and also for, uh, for military medical concepts of the future. I think that's a really important point, right? That it's not just the military that's using Netson, but also there are civilians also using Netson. What does that experience look like for a provider and the patient? Most providers' ideal technology experience is going to be a zero technology experience, right? We're net, people aren't going into medicine because they really like working in lab systems or in EHRs. They want to practice medicine. They want to take care of their patients. This is just a means to the end. So the experiences, they pull up, they, they starts before the app. They have a patient in front of them. They have a real-world problem. They need help solving it. They pull out their phone from their pocket. They walk over to the nearest workstation. They see who is on duty um, for that for that for that given problem, whether it's a, a remote critical care doc or uh, a pulmonologist or a cardiologist. They see who's on duty. They may not have ever interacted with them before, which which is important because before this tool, you're you're you're, you're using your natural network of that one clinician that you worked with that you know is in San Diego or is in another hospital that you know you know that you can go talk to them and, and get your problem solved. But for this, it's, hey, just based off the problem at hand and who is available for a given specialty, you, you maybe you start by sending a couple text messages, an image of the patient, some of the patient information, and you quickly jump onto that audio and video call. And, and this is where video starts to become a little bit more interesting, especially if you're dealing with care in an in a austere environment, like a natural disaster or a combat zone. When you're, when you're that local provider on the ground and you're in a, a disaster environment, and you have that call with a remote expert, they may not know what you mean when you say a resource-constrained environment. They may think it's just a, you know, an, an, under, an underfunded clinic. But once your camera goes on and that remote expert can see what that scenario looks like, or whether it's a combat zone and they're wearing a flak and Kevlar, or they're in the back of a truck or in a safe house, or it's in a disaster environment and it's utter chaos behind there, that video tells that remote expert a lot of things. It signals to them, how many other members that are on the team? What are the types of, can I order labs? Can I order other different types of tests? Or what type of material that I need to work at hand? And then that's the experience right there, connecting between that local provider and that remote expert. And it, it, we can stay just there, but then that local provider is going to be going away. That remote provider is also going to be going away. We're going to have to do a patient handoff. And that's where the documentation comes in, making sure that you're documenting about that patient. What did you do? What did the remote expert tell you? Some of that can be within the chat, and then you're just adding another provider as the remote expert is leaving or as the local provider is leaving, or you're documenting directly in the patient so that you have that continuity of care as that local provider takes a break. They go, you know, they're handing off to the next person, and the remote expert, we're having a shift change on the remote expert side. And so much of this relies on, you know, can it scale? Um, is it reliable? And is it secure? How is the cloud helping you to meet those three requirements, really? From a cloud side, being able to add in, to being able to use auto scale on our EC2 and RDS instances, 
be able to you know have a, an underlying infrastructure that we don't have to worry about whether it can handle the load. Scaling almost isn't at the forefront of our thought process because we we take for granted some of the capabilities that we have from AWS. From from the security side, it's a little bit of a two-edged sword because things are so easy in you know in the cloud. I can spin up another server. I can open uh, you know things you know relatively easily. Um, so it's the ease of use of security and being able to have a lot of the security abstracted from us so that we don't have to go back to the commodity areas of technology. Um, we are we already inherit those from the from the AWS platform. In the beginning, we we weren't we weren't initially using Wicker, um, but as we were working with our AWS teammates and we saw that this platform had from AWS had recently gone through an ATO and it had a lot of the core services that we needed from an audio and video call, from text message exchange, and had the ability for us to bring in workflow. We worked with AWS to include this, and because it already had an ATO from uh, from the Department of Defense. We were able to start testing this against some of our legacy workflows, um, thanks to the work that Tatrick did on some real-world military exercises. Um, so I think it was the first exercise that we took it out on was called Operation Gunpowder, where we were doing prolonged casualty care uh, with different third-year medical students. And we had some students using Wicker and some students using our legacy nets and platform. And because we had included you know, the that austere environment, disaster medicine workflows into the Wicker platform, and we had a technology service that just worked. And now, not not only are we inheriting the infrastructure scalability, but we're also inheriting application-level controls and application-level consistency and performance. It made it that much easier for us to uh, uh, to guarantee a good service and, and build trust with the uh, with the end users. And so trust is one of those things, of course, that speaks to the success of NetSend. How else are you measuring success of the program and how many people or environments have you been able to support um, from 2022 today? Through the pandemic, I said we've had over over 60 missions. We've had over a thousand unique patients who we've supported. We've delivered over 5,400 patient days of care. And we've had, um, you know, uh, over uh, 390 caregivers that we've that we've supported directly. Most of the hospitals that we've supported are what are called critical access hospitals, which are the smallest category. We've had a few hospitals uh, that are large ones, and it was really exciting to see how they could open a, a, another intensive care unit with virtual staffing through NETSID. Uh, we helped another large hospital in the, during the Omicron uh, surge uh, that, that, that was having some real staffing issues, especially around specialists. And we just filled in at night so that, you know, some really scarce specialists could get some sleep. Uh, we helped community hospitals. But from there, uh, we, we, we took on some additional missions. One of them was with EMS in a county in Florida. And if you remember... Um, Monoclonal antibodies were uh, revolutionary, were really transformative. If they were delivered in time to people, they could keep them out of hospitals. And um, the EMS in this county in Florida was delivering monoclonal antibodies, but um, they also required that the patient be monitored for an hour afterwards. With Netson, and in this case, downloading it directly by patients, uh, it was, it was uh, delivered uh, it, it allowed those EMS folks to give more monoclonal antibodies and to offload 
the monitoring to others. Since then, uh, we have supported the president's initiative to make it easier to get antiviral drugs at places like long-term care centers uh, through having virtual consultative services for you know, some of these new antiviral drugs uh, against COVID and uh, to actually do the evaluation and prescribing where there isn't one at, for example, a long-term care center or a, a health center. Looking forward, how do you see Netson improving the lives of everyday citizens as the solution continues to mature and grow? COVID-19 expressed a lot of the faults in, in our national health care system. We also saw through what our clinicians did or what we were able to do with empowering those clinicians through, with technology, and Netson is a good example of that, of where our healthcare system can work and what are the types of technology systems that we can use to make it work just marginally better. And those marginal you know, changes, those marginal improvements, those mean those have a big impact to that patient in Guam. Um, to those, you know, to what we're doing to prepare for the next, uh, uh, the next conflict and the medical needs that will be needed in, that, in the future of warfare. So I think it's Netson and the projects like Netson, because this is going to be a team sport on how we improve our, our, uh, with technology our, our, our national healthcare system, um, you know, using these technologies, using these innovations, and using the lessons learned that we've gathered over the last 20 years to make an impact um, to, to, to improve how we deliver healthcare and the overall health of our country. When we first started this, and I remember this first briefing because I was just like, number one, I was, I was, I was, I was back in the military again, um, you know, after some time, and we were briefing our commanding general at, at, at Medical Research and Development Command, and he said something so wise. He said, you'll know you've succeeded when you change the force structure, meaning you know you've succeeded when we can not use as many boots on the ground clinicians that this is just built into the system. We're not quite there yet, but as we demonstrate capability and capacity of the system and we um, gain trust and we get the data to make rational decisions about where to allocate resources um, through our care delivered through Netson combined with care delivered in other means, we can really do that. And you know, as we apply that to our national response infrastructure, as, a, as we apply that to military health care, it's really going to be transformative and allow us to, uh, to, to really make decisions like we never have before. If you liked today's episode, stream episode 62, Improving Transplant Patient Outcomes Using AWS to learn how else the cloud is helping to scale healthcare services and save lives. And remember to join the conversation on social media with hashtag FixThisByAWS. A huge thank you to our guests, Matt and Daniel, and thank you for tuning in. If you liked today's show, please remember to subscribe, rate, review, and share. We'll be here on the next one.